Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I just I feel like we're so blessed to have the the body that we have, the family that we have, the worship team that we have, the leadership that we have, that just seeing their hearts and even Lindsay coming up and welcoming us in this morning, it's just, it stirred me up. It really did. If any of you guys didn't know who that was, that's um, Lindsay Crespo. She's one of the youth leaders and, and um, leads our youth in worship and pours into their lives. And uh, we're just, we're really thankful to have her. And, uh, yeah, we are, for real. You know, we sing, Spirit lead me where my faith is without borders. And I, I know sometimes that, that we sing songs and we kind of know what they mean or we get what they mean, but we're, we're, we're more just opening our hearts and declaring stuff to God without actually thinking about what we're singing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like Sometimes I'm singing and I don't even, I'm not even conscious of the words because I'm just thinking about Him and it's my heart pouring out through my mouth. And, but I was actually thinking when we were singing about, that, that, about faith without borders. And um, I'm not a big vision or, or, or picture guy. Like Some people get them all the time and I'm... I'm pretty jealous of those that do, but I don't, I don't get them all the time. And, and a lot of times when I do, they're just for me. And, and what I mean by that is like, sometimes God gives us things that are just for us. And sometimes he gives us things that are just for others. And sometimes he gives us things that are for us and others. And the, one of the most important things that we can do in our lives is discern what is what. If it's just for you, then, then sharing it with other people can even though it shouldn't, sometimes it can cause reactions in them that you didn't anticipate, and sometimes it can bring things about that you, you never expected. And if it's just for others, then sometimes you'll internalize that, and you'll start trying to read something into yourself that's not really there, and it wasn't meant for you to begin with. It was strictly for other people. And then there's those things that are actually for you and for others. Um, like a quick example would be Joseph's dream. It was probably not the best idea for Joseph to share with his brothers the dream of them all bowing down before him. Right? It would have been wisdom to keep encouraged in his heart and to know the favor that he had on his life and that God was showing him favor on his life, but it probably wasn't the best idea to go tell that to a bunch of brothers who already were a little jealous because of the coat. Maybe that was just for him. But during worship, when we were singing that um, Spirit Lead Me Where My Faith Is Without Borders, I was was thinking about it, and I I had my hands out like this, and it just, for a minute there, I just felt like I was flying with God, you know, just soaring in worship and and Jesus is kind of like the buddy tandem, you know, backpacker, parachute guy with you. And he's, it's him that's flying, right? And he's behind me holding on to me. And I'm just going like this, and I think I'm steering, you know. But it's really him. I'm, I'm, and, and I'm acutely aware of that fact, but yet there's part of me that, that doesn't know where we're going. And because of the kind of personality that I have and because of the way my mind thinks, I keep wanting him to tell me where we're going. Show me a destination. Point out where we're headed. You know, let me see something so that I know that even if we turn over here, we're eventually going over there. These twists and these turns are kind of jarring sometimes, right? And, and so I, I said to him, I said, you know, I, I'm not used to this. And, and when I'm going somewhere, I generally know where I'm going. And he said, Roy, if you want, I could put you down on the ground and you could walk and you'd know right where you're going. But isn't this a whole lot more fun? Isn't this a whole lot more fun? And he said, you you don't have to trust in you knowing where you're going. You have to trust that I do. And then just trust me. And that's, that's faith without borders. That's faith that doesn't say, okay, I'll trust you as long as, or I'll trust you if, or... Or I'll trust you because, or any of these things that's based on anything other than knowing him and his goodness and who he is and who he wants to be for us. And having faith in him, faith without borders, that looks at something and is flying with him. And yeah, you're way up in the sky and you're acutely aware of the fact that if you were to fall, it wouldn't end very well for you. But you're also acutely aware of the fact that he's holding you. And he's promised that he wouldn't let you go. And I just, so I wanted to share that with you guys because that's my one probably for the next 20 weeks or so. Um, I just, that's usually not the way God speaks to me. It's usually in different ways. And I love the way he does speak to me. But when he shares something like that, um, the last time he did was that time when I was either awake or sleeping. I don't know. And I saw him, you know, and his robe was just pulsing with power. I still remember it like it was yesterday. And, 
and I'm looking at him, and his hair is just like crystal, and it's burning, and his, the very fabric touching his skin because of the power that's radiating off him is just pulsing and, and almost like moving with him and breathing with him, and, and I can't see his face, and I'm going, oh, and I just, I'm so undone by the power that he has, and I'm thinking, and I, I woke up in bed saying, or woke up, came to whatever, and I'm saying, I, I thought I knew, but I had no idea. I didn't know, I didn't know, and he got a kick out of it, really, in the vision, and just laughed and said, Roy, who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? You know, like, he wasn't disappointed that I was that amazed. He actually got a kick out of it, and he liked the fact that I was that blown away, but his question to me was, who do you think I am? And I woke up saying to him, I thought I knew, I thought I knew, I thought I knew, and uh, those things mark you. They really do, and I'm thankful for him every time it happens. Um, And I believe that goes right along with what we're going to be talking about today. Um, That that knowing who God is and who he wants to be in our lives and and knowing the promises that he's made, they cause a belief in us, which causes an expectation, which really is what we would call faith. Faith is an expectation of something to happen, that that we can put our faith in a lot of things. And a lot of times we we think of faith as only being a good thing, but the truth of the matter is is that there's a lot of faith out there that's not godly, that trusts in all kinds of things, and even trusts in negative things. And and sometimes we have an easier time accepting negative things will happen or bad things will happen in our lives than we do good things. It seems like, like, you know, it's it's easy to, to expect the worst. It's hard to expect the best. And the difference between those is probably where we place our faith. And so... We're going to be talking in, a, in the next coming weeks about the covenant that we have with God. But before we do that, I just want to talk about this because learning about the covenant we have with God, learning the promises that he's made and exactly how seriously he takes that covenant is useless to us if it's just knowledge that doesn't change the way we think, that doesn't change the way we live, that doesn't change the way we act. It's just that useless knowledge that Paul talks about where he says knowledge puffs up. It'll make us even more arrogant. It'll make us even more assured. It'll make us even more all those things in ourselves, but it won't do anything to actually change our lives unless we actually believe it to the point that it causes an expectation. You you can't believe something without it bringing an expectation. You can't truly believe something without it causing expectation in your life. Anxiety is just expectation in something that you don't want. It's faith that something you don't want to happen is going to happen, and anxiety is the, is, is the expectation of that bad thing coming. It's that feeling of impending doom, that sense that something negative is around the corner, or something bad's going to happen, or even though it looks good now, I feel like this and I feel like that. And, and sometimes because of the pattern of our lives, sometimes because that's ha- that stuff has happened in our lives, we won't even allow ourselves to expect good things. We won't allow ourselves to expect great things in our lives. And so we'll start to actually sometimes, I think subconsciously without realizing it, we'll sabotage our own lives when something starts going really good in our lives because we keep waiting for the bad and you know what it'd be better just to stay right down here that way if I do fall it's not very far than to allow myself to climb and allow myself to believe to a level that if I am to fall it's really going to hurt People do it in relationships all the time. You see it all the time. They take it really, really, really slow. And even though the person is perfect for them in their mind and even though they really have these feelings for them and they're a good person, they're a godly person, and they really should love them, they really should trust them, but because so many times they've done that and they've been dropped by people that they won't even allow themselves when the real thing comes along to believe that it's the real thing for a long time. And they would rather just stay down here at this level so that if they do fall, it's not quite so bad, it's not quite so catastrophic, it's maybe just a little scrape, just something that you can put a Band-Aid on and keep going rather than actually allow themselves to get to a place where if they were to fall, it would really, really hurt. And then we call that being wise sometimes, or we call that being cautious, or we call that, well, you know, you're just better to be safe than sorry. True safety is understanding that my life isn't dependent on another person, that it's dependent on the God of the universe, and that if someone was to drop me, he's promised that he will have his angels bear me up, that I won't dash my foot upon a stone. It's allowing myself to actually love people unconditionally, understanding that even if they don't love me back, he's already loved me so much that I don't need their love in return to be okay. It's setting ourselves up time and time again the way Jesus did and allowing people to be loved to the place that they have the opportunity to hurt us if they want to, but trusting that loving them and pouring into them is worth it for the chance that they won't. And then being okay if they do. So, Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. 
It's really famous. I mean, everybody knows this. Everybody can repeat this and finish this, this verse. And he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. John fifteen eight. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So there's, he's telling us to rest that we'll find rest in Him. And He tells us to abide in Him. And, and, and a lot of times this rest has been mistaken maybe even for inactivity or something like that. But what Jesus is saying has nothing to do with doing nothing. It has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of stuff that you do. It has to do with the position of your life and a position of your heart. This means to decide once and for all that God's good, that He loves me, that He's for me, not against me, that His plan for me is good. That if I'll trust Him, truly trust Him, and live my life with faith without borders, yeah, it might be scary at times, but it's a whole lot better than living in the place where everything I do is because I know I can do it. I mean, just think about that. If we live our lives with only what we know is possible on our own, how much can we accomplish that's extraordinary and supernatural and above all and brings God praise and honor and glory with our lives? If everything that we do is based on my knowledge, my ability, my skill, if I've got borders in my faith that says, well, I'll trust God to this point, but that's the border. right? Like maybe I've been hurt before by somebody, and so I put up a border there, and I say, God, I'll trust you, and my faith is in you, but there's a border right here called relationship, called love, called too much intimacy with people, called trusting. So I put up that border, and I'll trust you, God, and my faith is in you until we get to that border. And then I, wanna, I want you to put me down, Jesus. Fly me to the border, but that's it, no further. Just fly me there and then put me down, and I'll do it on my own from there. I'll start walking in my own strength and in my own understanding and my own wisdom from there. We have borders. If we're not careful, we, we will. We'll live our lives and we'll sing that song, Spirit, lead me where my faith is without borders. But the problem is, is that if we have borders in our lives, He'll only lead us to those borders because we'll ask Him to let us go. We'll stop walking after Him. We'll stop trusting. We'll stop following when we reach that border. Because so many times when we've gone past that border, it hasn't worked out for us in our own mind. And then maybe we get later on in life and we understand that what we thought was so catastrophic that we put a wall there was really the blessing of God. And it was His way of actually teaching us something, showing us something, saving us from something that we wanted so badly because we can't see what He sees and we don't know what He knows. And so something that we thought was a hurt and a wound and we put up a wall was really the blessing of God. And we've put up a wall based on something He wanted to happen in our lives, based on His goodness and His kindness. And we call it hurt and frustration and pain. And sometimes, some of those things you can only see with time. And the problem is, is that if we live our lives inside of that border from the age of 20 to the age of 40, when we finally understand that there's 20 years there of living and less than God had for us, all in the name of safety. All because we don't understand and all because we only want to trust as far as we're able to understand. But Jesus said there's a peace that passes understanding. That there's a peace that goes beyond our ability to understand, and yet we only want to live in the peace that we can understand. We demand that we understand. It was like me. I'm flying with Jesus. I mean, I don't have these visions very often. I'm in worship. My arms are like this, and I feel like I'm just soaring with Him. And it was so good and so free and so light, but all I wanted to know is where we're going. I couldn't even enjoy the moment fully because there was this nagging thought in my head of I don't know where we're going and he keeps turning and every time he turns it kind of jars me and jolts me a little bit. And I don't want to be jarred and jolted so why don't you give me the, the map? Show me everything. Then I'll have faith. But faith is the substance of things unseen, the evidence of things hoped for. So if he was to give me the map and I knew exactly where he was going, then what do I need faith for? then I can lean under my own understanding and in all my ways acknowledge me and I'll direct my paths. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not with all your intellect. Because a lot of times it's not going to make sense to our intellect. In fact, it will offend our intellect. The wisdom of God offends earthly intellect a lot of times because what he calls us to do is so opposite of what the world says is the way to get where we want to go the world says if you want to be known you have to promote yourself god says if you want to be known as i want you to be known just humble yourself take the low path and trust me to exalt you and lift you up 
The problem with building yourself up is that you're the builder. Yeah. So when the storms come and the building starts to shake a little bit, the only thing that you can lean on is the skill and the expertise of your hands. And there's never a piece that passes your own understanding because you know who built the building and your trust is only as big as him. But when you lean on God to do it and you lean on God to elevate you and build you up and lift you up, then you know the builder. And even though you might not understand completely why he did or how he did what he did, you know that he knows more than you. And so your faith is in something bigger than yourself and your trust is in someone greater than you. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. In my life, so many times I can look to where I've replaced the He and the Him with I and me. I've really trusted in my own understanding. I've really acknowledged myself, acknowledging myself, thinking of me and what I want and what I think is the best outcome and what I would consider success and what I would consider victory rather than acknowledging him and saying, God, even though this isn't what I would choose to do, maybe this is what you want with my life and I trust you. I'm just going to let go. Let's go. Let's fly. Don't put me down. I don't want to walk. I don't want to only get where I can go. Sure, if I'm putting one foot in front of the other and I'm walking, I am in complete control of where I'm headed and I know where I'm going. I can fix my eyes on a point and I can walk from here to there. The problem is is that I can only get where I can go. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't be good. There's many people who will sacrifice the, a life of greatness on the altar of good. You can live a good life that way. You can live a life that's solid, a pillar in the community, a person that everyone looks to and says, wow, that person really is doing everything. The problem is, is only you and God know if you're really doing everything he called you to do. It doesn't matter what man says because when you stand before God to receive your reward, it's not going to be based on the accolades of the people around you and what they thought you were doing. No matter how good it looked. On the other hand... Even if everyone around you doesn't consider you a success and doesn't cheer you and call you the greatest and say nice things about you. When you stand before God, your life might look exactly like it planned for it to. And only you and God know that. Yeah, there's people in your lives that God will place into your life. That's why we're called to walk together and they can help you and sometimes they'll hear things from God for you. God's always spoken through his people to his people. Always. He's never plans to stop that. I believe you guys are here this morning hearing something that God would have for you to hear through my mouth. And I don't believe it's just for the person who stands on stage on Sunday morning to be able to do that into the lives of people. In fact, I have people that speak into my life all week long. And I'm thankful for it and I'm grateful for it. But ultimately, even though there's people around you that can speak into your life and speak truth to you and tell you the word and tell you these things, it's up to you to actually take what God's given you, decipher what's for you, decipher what his word is for you, and then live your life based upon that. Nobody else can do that for you. You can do that for your children for a while, right? You can control the way that they live and what they do and where they go, but ultimately you're only controlling external actions. If something's not happening inside of them when they leave your control, they're going to go and do whatever it is that's inside of their heart to do. God trusts us. You understand that God trusts us to follow the desires of our heart that he places inside of us. Otherwise, he would never say that he would give them to us. He trusts his goodness. He trusts his ability to be able to place something inside of your heart that is for you to do. And he wants you to go and do that. That's why he says that he will give you the desires of your heart. If you couldn't be trusted, he would never say that. He's not insecure. But it does take recognition of who he is and who he wants to be and what he's saying in faith to be able to live that way and to do the things that he's called us to do. And a lot of times it's not going to make sense. A lot of times we won't be able to. We're not God. We can't see the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. We get halfway sometimes and we can look back and we can see the things that have happened in our lives. How many times have you, honestly, how many times have you guys looked back at something that you thought was so horrible in your life and then down the road you saw the wisdom of God, the brilliance of God, the greatness and the goodness of God in what you thought was going to be horrible, right? So 
There should be something that happens when we recognize that and we see that, that when something that we're going through seems to be so horrible, seems to be so, so hurtful, so painful, there's nothing good inside of it for us that we can actually go to God and say, God, is this you? I trust you. I've been following you. And so if this is happening while I'm following you, I trust you that this is for my good. And even though I can't see how, I'm going to praise you for this. Even though it seems like the exact opposite thing of what I would have chose, even though it seems like another scar, another wound, another battle story to tell, I'm going to trust that it's going to be another altar of praise. Why sacrifice 10 years, 5 years, 2 years of your life living in regret and pain and hurt to finally get to the point of being able to see how good it was? Why not just trust Him from the beginning? Why not? Why learn the hard way? Right? Why live with regret and look back and say, man, I, I, I wish I would have knew now what I knew, or then what I know now. Why not access the mind of Christ now so that we don't have to keep saying that continually? Oh man, you know how many times you hear people say that? If I'd only known then what I know now. Well, what changed from then to now? How much more of the mind of Christ do you have accessibility to today than you did that day? How much more of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, leading you and guiding you into all truth you have now than you had that day? The truth is, is that none of that's changed. You had the same accessibility to the mind of Christ that day as you do now, and you had the same Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, the same promise that He'd lead you and guide you into all truth that day as you do now. The only difference is is your ability to recognize it, understand it, and act accordingly. So Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, weary and burdened and I will give you rest and then he says my father's glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples just as the father has loved me I've loved you abide in my love but right before Jesus told them about resting and finding rest and all that stuff he said this in Matthew uh, verse 9 I mean chapter 9 verse 35 through 38 we'll have all these on the overhead if you just want to write them down because I'm going to skip through a few different scriptures um it says, And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to, the, to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So here's Jesus looking out and seeing all these people that need to be discipled, all these people that need to be poured into, that need to hear the gospel, the good news, that need to be loved the way Christ has loved them. And he says, man, it's never the harvest that's waiting on God. It's always the harvest, I mean, God waiting on the harvest. It's always the harvest waiting on God's people to move. That's why sitting in a room and praying for God to do something so that we can harvest really is unbiblical because Jesus already said the problem isn't that we need a harvest to come. The The problem is the lack of people to actually go out into the fields and harvest what's already there. And that was thousands of years ago. If the harvest was already great 2,000 years ago, and we look around and by our own admission say the world's getting darker and darker, then how much greater has the harvest got over the past 2,000 years? How many more people are there that are hurting, that are lost, that need to hear the good news of the gospel, that need to be loved by people with the love of God? The problem has never been that there's a lack of people that need to be loved by God. The problem has just been a lack of people willing to love people for Him. And that's why Jesus said, pray that the Lord will send workers, laborers, So how does he say that the problem is there's not enough workers and laborers and then a few verses later, a few chapters later, talking to the same people says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Does he want us to work or does he want us to rest? The answer is both. Because one has nothing to do with the other. Resting in God doesn't mean inactivity. Resting in God doesn't mean that that we don't do anything and we sit back on the couch and we say, I'm just going to rest in God. Resting in God is a mindset, it's an understanding, it's a belief inside of us of who He is and who He wants to be in our lives, and then living our lives from that place rather than striving for that place. It's allowing the love of God to permeate our body and our being so much so that everything we do is touched and is, is, carries the aroma of heaven on it. You can accomplish a lot in this life without that rest that He called us to. You can. There's a lot of people that will go and accomplish a lot of things. The only problem with it is, is that it will lack the wind of heaven blowing at your back. It will lack the direction of God. And at the end of your life, you may have succeeded in so many things that he never called you to even start. Think about it. Think about how easy it is. We've talked about this before, right? Think about how easy it is for the enemy. What's harder for the enemy? Is it for him to try to hold shut a door that God has opened? Or is it easier for him to open a door that God never intended to be opened in your life using the system of the world? 
If it, all it takes is him opening doors in front of you, he's happy to just keep going ahead of you, opening doors, and you just keep walking through them, and you're farther and farther from where God wanted you. And all the while, it looks like success and the blessing of God if we're not careful. And then we come to the end of that hallway and realize this is not where God intended for me to go. This, I, he had no intention of me opening the, going through that first open door, never mind the rest of them. The enemy will do that. He'll open doors in front of you. That's why when people come to me with opportunities and sometimes they'll come to me and say, hey, you know, I had this opportunity and it involves this, this, and this, and it's really good. And they give me all these worldly reasons why it's so good and all these natural and logical reasons why it's so good. And they say, so you think this is God, right? I have no idea. I mean, it certainly sounds like him from the outside, but only you would know if that's him because what if he has no intentions of you going there? What if right now where you are in your walk with him, he just wants you to stay right where you're at and continue in what you've been learning and continue in what you've been growing in, surrounded by the people you've been surrounded by? Yeah, but I mean, this, this thing, with this, this promotion would get me so much more money, get me so much farther ahead with the company. Yeah, and it'll take you somewhere where you know absolutely nobody and you'll be there alone all by yourself. And then eight months later, nine months later, ten months later, you'll be talking to me on the phone, talking about how all you want to do is get back to where you were. It's a true story. We've got to be really careful that we're not just saying yes to something because it leans on our own understanding and we're not just acknowledging ourselves in it and directing our own path. We've got to make sure that every time that we t- say yes to something, we understand that we're doing so because we've trusted him with all of our ways, that we've acknowledged him, that we're leaning on his understanding, and that we're trusting him to direct our paths. That's all he wants to do in your life anyways. Look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything that, the, that, that proceeds after the Lord is my shepherd is all promises of what happens if he's leading our lives. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures. He restores my name. He sets me on the path of righteousness. He does all of it. There's only one requirement on me, and that's one, that he's, I'm walking after him, and he's my shepherd, and that I don't fear. My, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Why? Because I understand those are for beating the brains out of my enemy, not me. I understand that if I'm walking behind you and you're my shepherd, and you've promised to lead me into all these good things that the rod and the staff aren't to, for me. They're for those who would come against me. They're for those who would try to get me off the path that you've placed me on. Think about it. He says he places us on paths of righteousness. If he's placed you on the path he wants and he's your shepherd, which means you're following him, why does he need to use a staff and a rod on you? Your rod and your staff comfort me when I'm following you because I understand that all that is not for me. You know, the, the whole teaching of, yeah, God uses those to break our legs so that we're forced to lean on him. If you're already walking on the path that he's placed you on, why does he need to break your legs? Read that in the right order, right? Read it in the correct order. It says that he places you on the path of righteousness, that he restores your soul. That for his name's sake, he does all these things for you. So if you're on the path of righteousness and he's your shepherd, why on earth is he breaking your legs with his staff? I thought Jesus was broken for our transgressions. I thought that he was beat and that every th- everything on him was destroyed, his physical body, because of the things that I'd done wrong so that that didn't have to be done to me. God didn't save the rod and the staff for me. It was all done to Jesus. Does he correct us? Yeah, but it's not with breaking legs. That teaching's foul. Think about it. If you walked into the first church service you've ever been in and you heard about this God that loves you and the sermon's all about how God will break your legs for your own good. And then at the end they say, don't you want to be a follower of Jesus? No, thank you. I like my legs just the way they are. I came in here because that's what they're trying to do to me out there. It's for your own good. Really, that's the goodness of God, that he doesn't, he's not more confident in himself to be able to speak to my heart and things change, that he has to start breaking legs. The comfort we find in his rod and his staff is, pre- is predicated by the Lord is my shepherd. For someone to be your shepherd means they are leading you and you're following them. If you're a sheep and you're not following, you don't have a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Not, I walk my own way in this life and I shall not want. That promise of not wanting is based on his promise of being your shepherd and and based on your part of following him as a shepherd. So if that's the case and that promise is based on him being your shepherd, if him leading you to green pastures is based on him being your shepherd, if him putting you beside cool waters is based on him being your shepherd, if walking through the valley of the shadow of of death yet fearing no evil is only possible because he's your shepherd and you're following him, then you must be walking where he wants you to go. You don't have to worry about a crack on the leg. It's more likely that he'd probably just speak because he said, my sheep hear and know my voice. Think about it. The only thing asked of us in that whole psalm, everything else is done by him. The only thing asked of us is that we follow him as our shepherd and that we have no fear. And following him and knowing he's our shepherd is the only way we will have no fear. So we're called to be workers and resters, right, at the same time. So turn to Hebrews now, and this is the the verse to go ahead and turn to because we'll probably be talking more out of here. Well, maybe, I don't know. According to plan. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 17. I'm sorry, starting in verse (laughs) 7. Sorry. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Just a a side point, and I'm going to keep reading there. We should never graduate from the things that we started doing when we fell in love with God. The time that you spent seeking Him and praying and and enjoying who He was and discovering who He wanted to be in your lives and being blown away by His goodness and mercy that you started at the beginning is never something that we should leave behind as we move on to better, greater things in Christ. They're the foundation of our walk with Him. When you start building the house and you start adding walls and windows, you don't do away with the foundation. If you do, the house collapses. You can't build on top of it without it. It should always remain. Those things, you just think of it as layers that when we move to the next layer, we don't get rid of the one we had before. It's just another layer added to the intimacy and relationship that we have. Sometimes I forget how, how easy he wants it to be and how it, before he's, he's a formula to be figured out, before he's this problem to be solved, before he's hermeneutics in Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff, he is a father that wants a relationship with somebody that loves him and who he loves. Sometimes I get that way in my own marriage. You know, I start working on the nuts and bolts of the marriage so hard that I forget that it's actually a relationship that's fun, that I enjoy, that, that, that simply exists for me to find love and affection and be loving and affectionate through, that it's something God put in place in my life to be a good thing to pour through in, into me. Sometimes I, get, I, I lose sight of that fact in the nuts and the bolts and the things that you have to deal with and work on with the marriage. And if I ever do, then I start working on it. My marriage becomes like a math problem that I'm trying to solve rather than a relationship to be enjoyed. Nobody wants to live with a mathematician trying to solve them. Nobody. Everybody wants to live with someone who's in a loving relationship and enjoys them. It's no different than with God. He doesn't want to have a relationship with you where you sit in your room trying to figure him out like a math problem to be solved. There's nothing wrong with studying the Word. I love studying the Word. There's nothing wrong with learning and growing in knowledge and and grace and all those things. Those are good things, but if they don't come first from a place of abiding and resting in a relationship with a loving Father, in a relationship with a loving God that pours His love and asks us only to love Him in return, What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. If those two things aren't first, then everything else that we do is useless. No matter how great the things we accomplish, aside from those are, if we aren't successful in those first, this is worthless in our own lives because this will never take the place of this. 
figuring out and studying the Greek will never take the place of understanding that God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you and enjoying the peace that comes from knowing that the God of the universe said, I hold you in my hands. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As he has just as has just been said, today if we hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Gosh, so many things in the Bible end with because of your, because of their unbelief. It must be a big deal. It must be a really big deal. So here, the writer of Hebrews, I think it was Paul that wrote Hebrews. That's, that's my thinking. If you don't agree with me, it's okay, but I'm up here, so I'm going to say Paul. And you can quietly disagree in your notes. Okay, so here's Paul writing a letter to the Jewish people of the day. Right? And just <laughs> It's okay. God won't be offended. There's nothing wrong with you being wrong every now and then, okay? <laughs> For those of you who don't come here very often or haven't been here before, I am completely joking, okay? You have to understand that's coming from a man who once read it out of Third Chronicles. Okay? Don't take yourself too seriously because God, I promise you, is not looking at slips of the tongue and hanging you by them. He's looking at your heart. We're looking at the outside, okay? So here Paul's writing a letter to the Jewish people today, and he's, he's, he warns them against their lack of faith or their unbelief, right? And he says, who were they that never entered into the rest of God? It was those who didn't believe, and we, so we see that they didn't enter the rest because of their unbelief. So he uses the example of the Jews who were told to leave Egypt. They were told that God would lead them and guide them, okay? Can I just tell you guys this? It, Please understand this, that when we talk about the children of Israel, it's a picture of you and I. When we talk about being led out of Egypt, it's always a picture of us being taken from the life that we lived in the kingdom of this world and being placed into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. Okay, we're always a picture. It's always a picture for our understanding. When we talk about God leading them and guiding them and promising to be with them, we were promised by the same God that he would dwell in us and lead us and guide us into all truth. So every promise made to them has been fulfilled to us and sometimes in an even better way because rather than it being an external thing that we have to look for, it's an internal thing that said he would never leave us, never forsake us. Okay, so here Paul's using that example and he says, you know, so, so this is what happened to them. They were never able to enter into the rest of God because they didn't believe and because of that it kept them from dwelling in a place where he desired for them to dwell. He told them to leave the land. He told them which way to go. He told them he would lead them and guide them and then he promised them a land. He said to the land which I am, who can finish that? Giving you. Giving you. Later, he says, to the land which I have given you. Okay, so God promises them he's going to take them out of Egypt. And the only way they get out of Egypt is by the hand of God. They understand this themselves. They lack the physical ability to do it. They lack the power to do it on their own. They, they lack the favor from Pharaoh. They lack permission. They lack a way to get across the ocean. They have all this lack and all these reasons that they couldn't do it. If their faith was bordered simply by the natural and what they could accomplish, they would still be in Egypt making bricks. But they trusted God. This is what Paul's saying. Don't stop trusting Him the way that we did when we first began. When they first began, they trusted Him completely to the point that they marched straight ahead at an ocean, knowing there's an ocean there, knowing that He had never told them to build rafts, and knowing that they were surrounded by a desolate land which had no ability for them to be able to make a way to go across the ocean. And yet they're still just walking straight at it. And when they get to the edge of it, rather than running and turning in fear, and rather than abandoning and turning around and waving white flags and surrendering, they wait on God and God parts the sea and they walk through. Okay, these are those people. Okay, we, we look sometimes at them because we know that in the end a lot of them were disobedient, a lot of them were unfaithful and sometimes we just label them all that way. But you've got to understand, these are people who started out chasing after God full of faith. Doing things that maybe some of us wouldn't dare to do on our own. So they walk across the water, right? And it parts around them and then 
God provides for them. He gives them food and He gives them water where there shouldn't be water. And he, he protects them and He covers them and He leads them and He shows up. He's a pillar of fire. He's a cloud of smoke. And He leads them and He's taking them to the land and they get to the edge of the land, right? And we pick up this story here in um, the book of Numbers. In 13.11, it says, I'm just going to read that real quick. Numbers 13.11 says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some man to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Notice what God doesn't say. That's a simple statement, right? Send men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. He doesn't say anything about sending them in there to explore the land to figure out how you're going to defeat the people that are in there. He doesn't say take your best military strategist and send them in so they can come up with a battle plan. He doesn't say go in there and figure out how many of you you're going to need to overtake how many of them there are. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says send them in to explore the land which I'm giving to you. In other words, go in there and find out all that I've promised you and what it contains and start making your plans based on what I'm giving you. All it took was for them looking back and seeing all the promises that he's made and they should have walked into the land and they should have been walking around the land and rather than worrying about how big the people were, rather than worrying about how harsh the land was, how big the walls were, they should have been walking around the land going, I want to live there. I'm going to have that. I hope he gives me this piece right here specifically. I want to make my camp over here. I'm going to build my house here. Look at those grapes. Those are going to be mine. I'm going to make wine with those grapes. Oh, see how the water comes down right here? We can put a connection. They should have been making plans based on the goodness and the promise of God, but instead, what do they do? They come back, right? It says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. This is picking up in in 13, uh, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up there and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Here's a man who believed the promise of God, whose faith was without borders, who walked into that land, saw everything that everybody else saw, and his verdict was, let's go there and take it, for we can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, you can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Border. There's a border to their faith, and it's called my own physical strength, my own capabilities, and my own knowledge of how battle works. There's one. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. The land we explored devours those living in it. Border number two. The harshness of the land. The lay of the land. What I see with my eyes. What looks before me. When I look at it, I can't imagine. I mean, remember we talked about they had grapes that were so big, right, that the giants had to carry them between them, the clusters on poles. That's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about the harshness of the land. When we don't trust God and we don't believe God, we can look right at something that He wants to be a blessing for us and all we can see is negativity and all we can see is what's wrong with it and all we can see are the ways that it's going to go wrong. That comes back to what we talked about in the beginning. So many of us, because we have an expectation of our lives for things to go wrong, for things to be bad, because we won't let ourselves have our expectations get up or our hopes get up because of past hurts and wounds and injuries, we'll look at something that God wants to give us as a blessing through the lens of our past failures or our past hurts or our past pains and won't even allow ourselves to see it for what it truly is. So when they look at it, rather than seeing everything that God's promised, all they can see is what the land has and the problem with it and how it devours the people before them. We saw the Nephilim there. This would have been a big deal. That's why they said it last. This is like the punchline. Like, even if you don't care about the things we've told you before, we saw the Nephilim. They were the giants. I would go into my theory of what the Nephilim are, but then I'd lose some of you guys, and it would take too long. But, 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 but just suffice it to say, they were something different than just the normal human race. They were giants, they were ogres, they were fierce people. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So the last border that completes the box, the giants that are in the land, and our own ideas of how big we are, how strong we are compared to them, we looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes. 
So what did they have, like the ability to step back and look at themselves through the eyes of the people? And we seemed in, and so we were in their sight. Now they're assuming what they looked like to those people. This is the same people who God would take some lepers who would march towards a camp and they would think it was the sound of an invading army and they would flee before them. They have no idea what they looked like to the Nephilim with the power of God covering them. What if their eyes were being opened to what was truly there the way Elisha's were when Elijah prayed and they looked and instead of seeing a few small people that were there spying, they saw the army of the living God and flaming chariots surrounding them ready to come in and devour the land. They have no idea, but because of their own borders, because their own limitations of faith, all they can look at is see was with their natural eyes and they look at these people and see how big they are and right away they assume when they look at us, we just look like grasshoppers to them. In other words, they're not going to flee when we come. Maybe everybody else will. Maybe God will do this. And maybe everything else God has promised, but He didn't see them, is basically what they're saying. Yes, God promised to give the land. The whole reason we went in there, you guys, the whole reason they went in to spy was because God told them to because He said He was going to give them the land. They're going there based on God saying, I'm going to give this to you. Yet they come back and all they can talk about is how they can't accomplish it. Because they're leaning on their own understanding in all their ways acknowledging themselves and directing their own paths. Instead of having a deep-rooted faith and trust in God that said, even though God said, so we will. So many times in our lives we should find ourselves saying that very same statement, even though God said, so I. Even though God said, so I. In other words, it doesn't matter about this stuff because of this. And because of this, I will this. Because if our life is made up like these people, the the ones who came back and all they could imagine themselves doing were the things that they could accomplish in the physical, then basically our lives will look as good as our own abilities, our own strengths, our own understanding, our own awesome powers. And that's all that our lives will be filled with is what I can do on my own. There's always someone bigger, faster, stronger. You know what the sad part about this is? They said that we're completely unable. We can't attack them. They're stronger than us. They're bigger than us. And they have a land that's harsh. And the problem was is they were right. Who was right? Caleb or or the, the other people? Both. They were both right because one was basing his judgment on the promise that God had given and was going to go in the strength of trusting in the promise of God. The other was going, looking at it in the strength of themselves and their own military abilities and their own physical abilities and they were going to go in that power and they would have been weak and they would have been defeated and they would have never accomplished what God told them to. They were both right. They were both right. The man who said we should go there and take that land for we can surely do this was right because he was acknowledging the fact that God had given it to them and that if God had promised it to them, there was nothing the enemy could do to stop them. He was right. The other said we can't go there because we, because we, because we, because they. And you know what? They were right as well. So how many of them got to actually go into the land? Two. Who was one of them? Caleb. They were right. They couldn't go into the land and take it, and they didn't go into the land and take it. This is the thing that I want us to understand before we start talking about covenant, and we're going to start talking about that this week, next week, is that so much of what happens in our lives and so much of what is able is not based on anything else other than our ability to be able to believe the promise of God and then live our lives as though it's true. Because they said they couldn't go into the land. Guess who couldn't go into the land? They did. Who decided that? They did. Who enforced their decision? God. He didn't tell them to go into the land and what to come back and report. He said, go and look at the land that I'm giving you and bring back a report. The report that they brought back wasn't supposed to be about why they couldn't do it. The report was supposed to be about how awesome this land that God was giving them was and let's go. It was supposed to stir the people to want to go in there and take what God had promised them. But instead they came back and they reported everything that they saw with the natural eyes, mentioned nothing about God, and because of that they were right. They couldn't go into the land. Our job is not to report the news. It's to report what God has said about the news. We're not news reporters. We're supposed to report the good news that trumps a lot of the news. 
He wasn't calling them to go in there ignorant with, with their eyes closed and say, there's no giants. The land's not harsh. He was calling them to go in there and see it through the lens of God promising to, to them and saying, there's giants in the land and the land is harsh. Thank God that he's promised to give it to us because on our own we couldn't, but let's go. Let's go. That's what the covenant that we have with God is based on. It's based on us knowing and understanding and believing the promises so that when the giant's down in the valley, it's why David could run down into the valley. David's a man after God's own heart because he understands covenant, not because he lives perfectly. Because he understands covenant. So he runs down into the valley knowing that the one he has covenant with is greater than the one standing in the valley. Fully trusting, fully persuaded that if he promised, that if he said it, then it has to be true. Caleb went in with that mindset. He understood that God had promised this to them. He understood that. And I think that the rest that Paul is speaking of right here that they didn't get to enter into was a position of their lives, not just the place that they lived. It was a position of their lives where they rested in the promises of God, where they knew, where it gave peace of mind. You guys, there's a peace of mind that comes that is completely free of circumstances, completely free of everything else that you know to be true, that comes only when you understand how much God loves you, how much He's for you, how much He wants good for you, and how, tr- how strongly committed He is to the promises that He's made. A lot of times we don't understand that because we don't understand covenant. We talked about that last week a little bit, but it's the, 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 the whole idea of covenant is so foreign to us. We're like the people that would ride in the old western days, you know, and we would come across one lonely Indian and he would raise his hand up, you know, and say how. And we would think, what a stupid Indian being friendly to us and waving to us when we're here to take his land, not understanding that what he was doing was showing the scar that he'd made with his blood brother blood brothers and he was letting everyone know listen even if you don't aren't impressed with me even if i'm not scary to you even if you don't think that i can defeat you on my own this right here is a promise from a bunch of people that if you touch me you've touched them and if you attack me they'll attack you had nothing to do with them being friendly and saying hi had everything to do with him understanding. There's nothing that I can do to scare these people, but they should understand this. And if they understand this, they'll probably just pass on by and leave me alone. Because I'm standing here one person, but this right here is a promise that's greater than everything that they are. That's the strength of covenant. That's someone who understands covenant. That's someone who believes in the face of what they see, that I have covenant with someone who's greater than what I'm looking at. Caleb walks in the land understanding I have a covenant that's so much greater, so much stronger, so much better with a God who's mightier and greater than they are. And because I have covenant with him, let's go in the land. We can do this. We can take this land. God's promised it to us. In life, every one of us will have to decide at some point whether God is who he says he is whether he'll do what he says he's going to do. We have to decide that. We can't be on the fence. If you haven't decided that, you have. If that's not settled, it is. Right? If you haven't decided that he really is good and that he really will do what he said he would do, then you have decided that he isn't that good and he really won't do if you haven't settled that inside of you of who He is and what His promises to you are and that you live your life as though they're true. I'm not talking about confessing with our mouths. You guys understand how easy it is to believe something with your mouth but never believe it in your heart to the point that it actually changes the way you make your decisions and the way you live your life? It's why it's easy for you to say things to people that are true and to believe stuff for people. I'll be honest, I struggle sometimes with believing for myself the very things that I tell people are true. I can believe the goodness of God and His plan for your life easier than I can believe it for my own. I think a part of that has to do with the fact that I know some of the things that I've done and I blame those things for the reason why I would never and I disqualify myself based on past faults. And I think that's why God says that we have to forget what lies behind before we can move ahead. Right? Because I don't understand all their baggage and I don't know all their story and I don't know all the mistakes that they've made. So when I look at their life, it's a whole lot easier for me to believe goodness for them and good things for them and tell them about the blessing of God that he wants for their lives. And it's a lot harder to do that for myself when in the back of my mind, my own mind is condemning me at times and saying, yeah, but you. Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but you did. But you didn't. But, but, but. At some point in our lives, we have to settle that not only is God good for other people, he's good for me. 
Not only does he want good things for other people, he wants good things for me. Not only does his plan for other people to prosper them and bless them and not to harm them, to give them a hope, expected future, not only is that his plan for them, but that's his plan for me too. That any good thing that I would declare over somebody else as the goodness of God is because he's declared that over me as his goodness in my life as well. Otherwise, I'll run around and I'm nothing more than a coach that motivates and pumps people up. And I'll be someone whose life is full of words but lacking any demonstration of it. I don't want that. I don't want to be a person that walks around with more words than action defining what I believe. I want my life to represent the goodness of God so that when I'm talking to somebody and I'm promising them about what God said about them, it's easy to see because he's done it for me. Does that mean that there will be no problems in my life? No, it just means that in the face of all of those problems, I have a promise. So it's not that I can go and talk to people convincingly about the goodness of God only when everything's going right and nothing's going wrong in my life. It's that I can talk to people about the goodness of God even when I'm facing a problem because I'm convinced that he is who he said he is no matter what's going on around me. That I don't have to wait until I see the end of this before I can then once again proclaim that he's good. That my my faith in him and my ability to declare his goodness isn't on a roller coaster that's based on my circumstance or how well things are going with people around me. I don't have to wait until me and my wife had an amazing day to be able to tell you about God's heart for awesome marriages. But because I believe in God's heart for awesome marriages, we have a lot of amazing days. I don't have to wait until all my ducks are in a row. There's no duck in a row anointing. I don't have to have every one of my ducks in a row to tell you that there's one who has all his in a row. I'm serious. You don't have to wait until every single part of your life looks perfect and spotless before you can proclaim the goodness of God to other people. Otherwise, we'll, end, we'll get to the end of our lives still struggling with a couple last ducks. You know? I would have done if only this. I would have said if only this. I would have been great at this. I would have taught that. I would have went here and told them this. But this circumstance in my life, as if the promise of God and the declaration of God over my life to preach the good news had anything to do with my ducks. Has everything to do with one who came who had all his ducks in a row. And whose obedience took the place of my disobedience. And whose death on the cross took the place of my death on a cross. And whose life within me takes the place of the life that I was living before I met him. So I can say that I'm convinced of the goodness of God and it really doesn't matter what's going on around me. I can be like Stephen. Having rocks thrown at my head by people who hate me and are grinding their teeth and want to see me dead and be able to say, I see the glory of God. He didn't pray and ask God, God, make them stop, wait till they stop, and then say, see, that's the goodness of God. He looks at people who are throwing stones actively at his head and says, it doesn't matter about this stuff. I see the goodness of the glory of God. And there's one standing at his right hand who's Jesus and looks like the Son of Man. None of that was based on anything that he could look around him and see. All that would have happened if he'd have let everything that he said and did be based on what was going on around him is this. Ah! That's all that would have been recorded. And Stephen ducked his head and covered himself and screamed, The end. I was going to close up with this. And man, I, I have so much less desire to make sure I get through all of my notes lately. <laughs> I, it's, it's not that notes are a bad thing, right? Like, I love that I have notes. It's the way that I prepare for a message and then I get up and disregard them almost completely. But, but I just have so much less care and concern that I make sure and cover all the points. I used to worry, well, if I don't get through everything this week, then the people who aren't here next week won't get it. Now I understand that it's okay. It's not my responsibility to make sure they hear everything that I had written down. It's my responsibility to make sure they hear everything that God has me say. So I've been released from that and I've been just enjoying it. Yeah. I am stoked about summer vacation ending soon though because i do like when everyone's here because i believe in what god's doing because i believe in every one of you because i believe in the power of worshiping together and and experiencing his presence together and having the the junk that tries to collect being washed by the water of the word and that i believe that the word he's given me to speak truly is life-changing because i see it changing my own life first plus tithing goes up Sometimes I think things and then I say them. <laughs> and when you laugh, I understand that everybody heard that too. I'm just kidding. So how do we do it, right? 
Like, how do we actually live a life that's without borders and that the faith that is without borders? I think in a lot of ways it's a lot like swimming. I could stand at the edge of a pool and tell you all day long about the buoyancy of a human body. I could tell you about the law of gravity. I could tell you about the way that, that water is more dense at times than the human body. And so if you just jump in, if there's even just a tiny bit of motion propelling you, that the law of propulsion will keep you up above the water. And I can explain to myself all those things. I can tell you about people that I know that have done it. I've seen people jump in the water and they swim. They haven't drowned. They just did this. And I, I can watch videos about it and I can read books about it. And I can do all these things. But the truth of the matter is I'll never swim if at some point I don't just jump and trust that everything that I know will come to pass and will happen. At some point, I've got to get over that tingling feeling that I have in my toes and that little bit of, whoa, you know, that, that headiness that you get when you're kind of standing on the edge of a cliff and you're ready to jump and you're really excited about jumping. I love jumping off cliffs into water, right? The highest one I think I've ever done is like 82 feet. And you have to actually run on that one a little bit because there's a little outcropping that sticks out. So you can't just stand on the edge and jump, you know. And when you're back there, you're about to commit to it. And there's about a 15-foot place that you can run before you can jump. And you've got to jump before you get to the end of 15 feet or you're going to catch something on the way down. And as you're standing there, there's a tingling in your toes, right? There is absolutely this feeling of, whoa, and there's kind of this lightheadedness going on, and there's an excitement, and your pulse is racing, and your heart's pounding, and you've seen other people jump, and you've jumped before yourself, but it doesn't matter, because every time you're standing there, you're still that same decision that you've got to make to actually just do it, and just run and jump, and trust that everything that you know and all you've experienced will happen and I can tell people that because I've done it, and I can, they can be standing there, and I can tell them, I've done this 50 times. If you jump, even if you jump you know, early, you're still going to clear that thing because it only sticks out a little bit. You just can't be. In fact, if you were to just fall forward, you probably would clear that thing because you have enough momentum. I can tell them that, and I can tell them, look, it's only 82 feet. Even if you over-rotate a little bit and you land on your back, it's going to knock the wind out of you. There's people down there in the water. They'll grab you and they'll pick you up. Worst case scenario, you know. <laughs> it happens, okay? We're not Olympians. And so I can tell them all these things, right? I can tell them how it's going to be safe. I can tell them how fun it's going to be. I can tell them about the excitement that's waiting for them and how once you do it one time, man, you're going to want to keep on doing it and you're just going to do it over and over and over again. And they can know all of that stuff and they can believe all of that stuff, but at some point it has to go from knowing it in my head and believing it in my head to something that actually causes action and I find myself running towards the edge. I believe that's where God's calling every one of us is to know it, but then to allow that to lead us to run to that edge and actually jump and live a life that is faith without borders. That borders we've put up before in the past because of hurt, because of failure, because other people have let us down, because other people didn't do what God's called them to do. Whatever the thing is, because of our family history, because of words that have been spoken over us, because of everything that's happened in our lives that has led us to put up a border to faith, to where we're fine to fly with God until we get to that point. But when we get to that point, I'd rather you put me down. Every single bit of that, God's calling us to look at that and say, even though God said so, I even though God said, so I. And only you know what that is. It's the truth of the matter. Like only you're, you only know what was stopping you when someone's standing there telling you all the reasons you should do it and you really have a desire inside of you to do it. You're the only one that understands why you're not doing it. You're the only one that can get over that and you're the only one who can actually do something about making that go away and start running toward that edge. I could carry you to the edge, but I'm not strong enough to throw you far enough. Plus, you don't want to trust yourself to me. What if I slip? I can help you. I can encourage you. I can tell you, but I can't make you jump. I can't make you run. You've got to do that. So God, I just thank you for the ability that we have to even imagine life without borders. Jesus, I thank you that you promised you'd never leave us, you'd never forsake us, that it is more intellectually easy to just walk this life the way that I know, but you're right, it's so much more fun flying with you. God, I ask that we would, starting with me, God, give up our right to know and understand everything for a peace that replaces that. God, that my decisions wouldn't be made because of past hurt, past offense, past failure. They would be made because of promises that you've made long before those hurts, long before those failures. God, that I would know you, know you, know you. 
not know about you, God, but know you to the point that I trust you. And when I'm standing on the edge and my feet are tingling and my head's swimming, my heart's pounding, my pulse is racing, that I have the courage to know that you haven't called me to figure out everything along the way. You just called me to jump. And I could be like Caleb. When I see something, God, I see your blessing and promise in it, not the reason I can't and the cursing. God, that everything I see, even if it's the same thing as the world sees, God, that I see it because of your promise through the lens of blessing and promise. Not hurt and fear. I thank you for that ability. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just, even during this week, allow us to see things that we've looked at and seen the thorns and the harshness of the land and the size of the giants that we would see that with new eyes, that we would see those things we've looked at in a new perspective and we would see the goodness of God and the promise of Him in that area. God, whatever area that is in my life, that I would be able to look at it and see the goodness of God and the promise that you've made even in the harshest of environments with the biggest giants that I know that you're my shepherd and I won't fear. And I know you're my shepherd and I won't want. That I'm comforted when I see you adjust that staff on your waist because I know that that's for anybody that would try to harm me. That all I have to do is keep walking behind you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.